What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You are in Germany? Yeah. Were you and wearing I, Lederhausen? I was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, definitely was. And I was drinking steins of beer and I just got this overwhelming need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to House Hamburg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but the German Shepherds. So I bought one of their duchies. Oh, man. The best. Shit-mouthing German Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so then in this dream, I, I finished my giant beer and mm-hmm. I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that duchy mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane. Yep. Because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. Right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this duchy that I've got. Wait. Were you in Canada or were you in the US? Well, I was in North America or somewhere. It's not important exactly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach LaPointe. Mach LaPointe. I just got under Canon Dynamics and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was Wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, then I'm out training this duchy mm. in his all of his fancy equipment. The yep. duchy that I got from House Hamburg Shepherds, mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canon Dynamics. Yep. And then I was training in dog park because that's how I train. Mm. And there were some people, and they had some <laughs> sort of unruly behaviour from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia, and uh, fancy I, that. I thought I said to them. They were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't no, want to. I'm a dog part daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, fuck you, I don't want to. Yep. But I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia, while you're at work and will do like a little bit of a training session with your dog while you're gone. No way. You're not talking about Melanie Benway. It was Melody Benway I was Bloody talking hell. about. Kindred Canine. So I g- gave those details. Anyway, so I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this duchy. Mm-hmm. And then I had to come back to Australia yep. and I brought the dog. Wow. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. Oh, he left it all there. I left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs, harnesses. Dog mills. Blah, 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 blah. Buffed Central. Einswick dog quip. Einswick Buffed. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around mm-hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Hamburg Shepherds. Yeah. Well, I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom crate bill by the Buffed. Wow. Einswick.com. 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 Yeah. Einswick. Yeah. So after your dream, when you woke up, did you wake up with a boner? You've ruined it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Welcome back, everyone. How are you, sir? I'm very well. 
It's funny that I asked that. We've been talking bullshit to each other for the last hour and a half. I know. (laughs) But we have to do our niceties for everybody. We have to pretend that we just sat down. Exactly. That we haven't been planning this or haven't been telling warry stories or talking shit. Complaining about politicians out there. Exactly. Oh, goodness. There's some pretty funky stuff going on in politics at the moment, which- There is. Yeah, especially in Australia. Do you want to tell the story on that? Should we introduce that into the episode? Yeah, I think we should. What's funny is in all of the bullshit we just spoke about for an hour and a half, we didn't actually discuss what we were going to talk. No, I know. We (laughs) we talked about the topic, but it's our ire and outrage about things that are going on. Yeah. I think there's some concerns going on. There's an animal justice party that's part of our political system at the moment, and there's nothing concrete yet, but there's some rumours flying around about their integration into politics and also into the balance training world. Mm-hmm. And I think they need to be kept an eye on at the moment by the general public in Australia. So mm. it's great that they're doing the right thing by animal welfare. I don't think anybody's got a problem when you've got an authority that's genuinely looking after welfare and they're consulting properly. However, my concern is always, I feel that some of these people are just a runaway. Mm. And I don't trust many politicians anyway, because I feel that they're more on the popularity circuit than anything else. Mm. Here's the sad thing, right? This is my opinion, but here's the sad thing. I think there's a lot of people who do go into politics with good intentions at the start, like they're good people who want to represent their community and the people within their community and their municipality quite well. The thing that worries me and the thing that I see and I feel that most people around the world do feel and the irritation that they do feel is that once they're encapsulated, they're basically given the rules of how to play the party game. Of course, yeah. And that's where that person loses their soul. I think I've spoken about this in an earlier episode where when those fires happened in Australia a couple of years ago before the COVID Mm -hmm. struck us, there was a politician up there who basically immediately turned his back on politics. He said, fuck this, I'm out. He said, I'm lying to all the people who voted for me and had faith in me, Mm. and I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, I'm not going to toe the party line and start telling these lies. I almost bawled when I saw that because I thought, you poor bastard. You Mm. know, like, you've been through this. He was watching his neighbours' houses and his neighbours being obliterated by fire, and he was just exhausted by the end of it, and he just thought, fuck this. You know, this government has basically not really supported its people. Mm. I just want to applaud the guy. You know, I really do. I wish I could remember his name, but- I really want to applaud him because that takes bravery. I mean, you are basically a pariah once you do that shit. Yeah. And you shouldn't be. That's what I think a true politician should be. That's a person who truly represents their people. Mm. And that sort of thing worries me in a lot of these parties or welfare agencies and stuff. I I think they start with great intention and many of them do, but then it becomes a runaway train. Well, I think it's really easy for them to get- uh, public support, like that animal justice party in Australia, like who doesn't want that, right? Like of course. It, at the title, of course. Like yeah. I want, I want animals to be fairly represented, so do and I. I want their wealth, their welfare to be at the forefront of people's minds. It and I want, be. but it's how they intend to do that, and the end goal is sort of the issue. So mm. yeah, we saw a big post yesterday about the issue of police dogs, and you know, raising the concern about whether the police should even be allowed to have dogs because what was the stats on that? It was like thirty-two dogs last year yeah. were injured or something like that or sought veterinary care. What about police? Yeah, exactly. Police right? men and women who put their lives yeah. on the line and are injured. So should we 
look at having robocops. Well, and so like the conversation can get really deep yeah. and we can talk about, well, the police that are injured in the line of duty consenting to that role, like they joined the police. No one was born into the police. And mm. the the argument to, you know, to plays that devil advocate is then that no police dog chose to become a police dog, yeah. right? He was, you know, raised for that purpose or sold into it when he was deemed suitable or, you know, whatever. And so I see the point of we shouldn't have that. But when I do the cost-benefit analysis, it's not where I end up saying that we should ban it. When I look at it and I say, hey, I feel like the idea of just having dogs as pets is quite new and novel to us. Mm. We haven't really as a society kind of figured out what that looks like, like having dogs that don't have a purpose. And so now that we've swung that way that we just – dogs are pets. To the, to the average person, a dog is just a little cuddle monster that – I find this quite unethical, right, is having a dog – that isn't allowed to have a purpose other than to be your wet blanket. Yeah. Right. Like, because I think that's what most people kind of feel like they want in a dog is that you are just my little prank monkey mm. and you're at home, you're my captive. Right. And you just keep me happy and you absorb my depressions and you just live this little life with me. And they think that's good. Right. So then when a dog has a job or is bred for purpose, it's so foreign to a lot of people that they're like, you can't do that. And they can't imagine their dog doing that. And you're imagining- So the, for the it's average the person- It's the subject to risk that yeah. they're worried about. But so for the average person who has never seen or, or handled a, a powerful or a highly driven dog, for the average person who's not listening to our show, just do random Jono, right? Mm. When, they, when they say, you know, the dog- in, When you say to them, no, the dog loves this job, like because he was genetically engineered to do it- they look at their fat pug and go, he would never like that. And it's like, that's true. He would never like that, right? But these dogs are not him. And I think the slippery slope then becomes, there's pushes from people who will say, yeah, we've seen it, it gets media traction. And I feel like it's usually just the media got to report on something, but they talk about how like blind dogs are, slaves, right? It's like assistance dog to anybody. He didn't consent to that work. And so we start like, when we start chipping away at that and we go, okay, like you're right. He didn't consent to it. He didn't put his paw up and say, <laughs> I want that job. Mm. Then we can apply that to police dogs and we can say no police dog. I even understands that he's a police dog. He just is a dog doing what he's been trained to do. So he shouldn't be forced. He shouldn't be put in the line of danger. Okay. So if we strip that away and then we go, okay, like now our dogs are going to be just pets. We just want them at home. Who consented next, to that? That's right. That's mm. the next step is like no dog actually asked for that either. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to apply the rules like to the top end, now we've got to keep trickling it down. And before too long, we're not allowed to have dogs at all. And that's the end goal of a lot of these organizations. I was going to say, it's funny about that yeah. because that seems to be like and there is an agenda. That's right. But so few people see that. And we almost seem like hysteric. We're like the guy wearing a sandwich board and a tinfoil hat mm. ringing a bell when you say that. And you go, hey, like the end product here, like I get that you don't feel comfortable that dogs are sent to bite people. Military working dogs, you know, detection dogs often set off the bombs that they've been sent to find. Like that shit happens. And I get that you don't like it and you think dogs should only be pets, but 
first of all, you're uneducated on the necessity of those dogs and the lives that they save and the fun that they have along the way, right? Because they're genetically engineered to want to do those sorts of things, mm. right? If you could ask that dog who lives in a kennel, right, but comes out every day to track and bite bad guys versus someone else's dog that just sits on the couch and watches TV all day, if we could somehow ask them who's happier, I would hazard a guess that 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 dog that lives in the kennel and comes out to do his work every day is probably at least as happy, if not happier, than the dog that doesn't have much of a purpose beyond being somebody's blanket. Well, I think they're probably void of each other's lifestyle. So they probably- yeah, they couldn't imagine- They couldn't imagine anything else other than the life that they've been subject to. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, when you get back into the nitty gritty of it and you examine when a puppy is born- it doesn't say, oh, I just want to be taken away from my litter mates and go and live with a human family. That's the irony of this whole topic is mm -hmm. how silly does it have to actually get? Mm -hmm. That's the issue, I think, as it trickles down. A lot of the well-meaning general public can really easily be talked into supporting the idea that no dog should be forced to work, mm -hmm. right? Like that absolutely shouldn't happen. No, no way. That's a really easy thing to do. And- and I just don't realize, I don't think a lot of people realize the ground they're conceding when they, when they agree to that. Because if he shouldn't be forced to work, why should he be forced to live in your yard? Mm. Right? Why should he be forced to do anything? And the end result, and we know this of Peter and others, like it's on their website. It's not that they don't fucking hide it. No, it's is quite, that there's no pets. Mm. Nobody keeps any animals. Yeah. Right? Vegan lifestyle and not pets for entertainment, captive or consumption. Yeah. That's the inevitable end mm. of conceding any ground in this space. Yep. It's terrifying. Well, it is. And this is why we're advocates for balance. Yeah. Because I think a balanced approach to anything, and this is where I think you made a good argument on how improper judgment can be when we allow too much emotion to get into it. And this is when, you know, when we look at a lot of these advocates of certain restrictions in animal ownership and so forth, a lot of the times it's based on heavy emotion. When you look at their advertising or any of the campaigns that they're putting in, it's about hitting people in the heart. And good people, honestly. I mean, when you see things that horrible people do, so you think this is a, a very unpleasant lifestyle. Who would want to subject an innocent animal to that? I agree. But you're talking about 1% of people who are just villains no matter what. Yeah. You know, they're villains to animals, they're villains to people, they're villains to the environment. They're just bad people. And there's going to be a carry-on of bad people in the world all the time. Those people need to be brought to justice. Yeah. The rest of us who are doing the right thing, we should be left alone to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, I believe in ongoing education. Absolutely. Being a part of a podcast show or being a part of a, a training system or being a part of the active community where we're doing this to actually help educate people. Mm. You know, there are other people who are doing that. What I'm saying is it's not about listen entirely to us and invest in our message. What I'm saying is look at all the checks and balances in place for the argument. I mean, you've certainly been a huge advocate from that. I've learned a lot about looking into the entire story more from listening to you about things rather than letting my own emotions let me run away with things. And I encourage a lot of other people out there in the community to do the same thing is rather than subscribe to the immediate message where it hits you in the heart and you basically say, I need to take action right now. I think what would be better for everybody, me included, is to say, I need to ask a lot more questions right now. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a good place for a lot of people to be in is there is a lot more to this story. 
I need to investigate rather than just immediately take action. I need to sometimes listen to other people and shut my mouth because there's been times where I've had discussions with people where I've just talked over them because I've got a mandate. I've got feelings that I've got to get out, but I'm missing the point sometimes. Mm -hmm. So when I haven't been so objective to conversations in the past and listen to other points of view, I've actually got a good education out of it. I've come away with a new line of thinking where I've thought, wow, that's actually challenged me on a whole different path. And that's been great. Even a guy at 50 years of age, if I can still open myself up to being a part of a, a more open conversation with people and listening to all the points of view, then you can sort of say, I've listened to everything. Now this is the path that I choose. Yeah. My influence in that space comes from many, many places. But initially it was from reading books when I was in the army on counterinsurgency mm -hmm. because counterinsurgency war is very difficult to fight. It's not obvious how things work. All right. And it's quite new as well. Well, new to modern people. Mm -hmm. It's a real issue of understanding what we would call like second and third order effects. Yep. So you make, you can say and do things that seem very obvious and clear, but then you, know, you don't understand the complexities of the system that you're damaging, yep. right? And then there's second and third order effects that you couldn't have understood or, or that you, you didn't necessarily try hard enough to understand. Mm. It's and almost like the butterfly effect in a in a Exactly, in a that's case. exactly that, right? Mm. Is that like, you know, by encounterinsurgency, it would be like, you know, say taking out a leader of a, a terrorist cell, you have to be very careful in doing that unless you know who's going to replace him. Yeah. Because the person that, within his chain of command that could replace him might actually be much, much worse. Yeah. Or he might have two sons that They'd have come grown up with you vengeance. And, yeah. yeah. So there's all those kinds of things. Mm. And then, so, you know, a big part of counterinsurgency stuff is understanding second and third order effects. And then also acknowledging what we call like a black swan event, like an unforeseeable event, right. And being yep. ready for that kind of thing. That was my initial imprinting in that. And now I do a lot of other sort of, you know, thinking about that kind of stuff because that's what gets left out of the conversation when we say, all right, like I want to ban police dogs. I want no dog to have to work. I don't, I don't want there because 32 dogs are injured. I don't want there to be any police dogs. Right. Okay. Fair enough. But what do police dogs do? Do you know that? Because you can look at the surface of it and go, oh, they track down and bite people. Okay. Well, and, I, and you don't want that to happen. Okay. No problem. Well, what would we do with the people who, you know, like what's our alternative to someone who is, you know, broken into someone's home, assaulted them and is now on the run or is on a process of doing that if we can't find them? Mm. Oh, okay. Like well, then we talk about prevention is better than cure. So we should have better social programs so that people aren't in a position to do that sort of thing. Okay. I agree with that, but we don't currently. So until those programs take effect, what do we do in the meantime? All right. The tracking. Okay. When a seven-year-old autistic kid just gets up and leaves, right, and which he's known to do, who's going to help find him? Mm. Because that's what a lot of tracking dogs do. That's what a lot of people don't understand is that tracking dogs don't just track bad guys. They track anybody that needs tracking. Yep. And so- And when, narcotics and explosives. Well, let's get to all that. So when yeah. kids go missing, right, who, if we're not allowed to have- dogs that work, whose dog is going to help find them? Are we getting on the floor? Like what system are we putting in place to help mm. find that? Because we need something else. We, we can't just let kids that get lost in the woods get be lost in the woods, yep. right? What other system are we going to put in place, right? Mm. Then let's talk about like drug detection dogs. Okay. Oh, uh, well, look at them. They're just catching people at the festivals carrying their like one- 
drug or whatever. Like, you know, fuck them. Okay. Like, let's not do that. Fair enough. Are we going to set up like drug testing sites? Can we do that? Can we let people test their drugs to see for the purity of it? Because the argument is then, does it matter, really matter if some guy going to a festival drops his pinger and has a wonderful time? Probably not. He's not going to hurt anyone. But if his drugs is made in someone's toilet and it's going to kill him when he takes it, that is a big problem. Mm. So are we going to change the laws now and are we going to have drug testing sites and are we going to decriminalize that to the point where if you're going to a festival, you can carry in your illegal drugs, go up to an organized site and say, hey, can you please test the safety of my illegal drug for me? in order that I take it, right? So we're going to implement that because we can't do away with the dogs who are stopping people from hurting themselves Mm. unless we give some other mechanism to stop people from hurting themselves, right? So are we setting that up? Are we organizing that? I think the thing that always intrigues me, and I kind of look at it like the movie The Silence of the Lambs, is that Jamie Dunn was his name? I don't know. Buffalo Bill? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He became the number one person to pursue after he took a politician's daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's when it impacts the world of a politician, that tends to be when a lot of investment goes into. I know that we're talking about a, you know, like a drama, but when things do affect politicians, that's kind of when they think, oh, now there's a lot of heat that needs to come on this subject matter. I think when you're talking about statistics in harm that's come to animals in duty, what about all the apprehensions that they've done in Yeah, duty? right. How many what lives have they saved? How many lives have they saved? I mean, I know for – I can speak on this with authority that when I've stood out on street corners with my dog, there's one particular time that I consider that I probably may not have got out of that situation badly damaged. You know, it may have changed my whole landscape, if at all, still being here, if it wasn't for my dog. It was that bad a night that I still consider that one of the worst nights that I ever worked in duty. Mm-hmm. And yet it was my dog who got me out of it. Yep. Even the when the police came down at the end of the night after everything had been said and done, like the cop said, that is an outstanding dog. I mean, I was too shaken up in the moment to understand what was going on. You know, like when you're going through that much adrenaline and shock and everything like that. But there are times where I look at situations, I think, had my dog have not been here, This situation would have been so different. The outcomes would have been so much worse had it not been for the dog. Yeah. There's a score of people in different fields, either in private or government, that I've spoken to in the same sort of situation where I've said to them, how much credit do you give to your dog for being able to control this situation or being able to improving this situation in general? And they said, oh, it's off the charts. I just couldn't have done this job without having the dog with me. And- I don't think people understand that because they've never lived that life. And it's very easy. So for your life as a soldier, like I don't know your life, you know, like when you're in the army, we can talk about it and I can visualize certain things, you know, but I wasn't there on the ground, you know, like the dirt of Afghanistan or the Middle East wasn't on my boots. It was on yours. So I don't know that lifestyle. I can't share in that with you. And there's some cases where I think I wouldn't want to either. Some of the stories that you've told on here and, told to me and told to people where I've listened to you talking, I'm probably thinking I'm glad there's people like you and many other people out there who, you know, have done that sort of work, but I don't want to. I really don't want to be in that. When you mm-hmm. when you challenge your comfort and you think about that sort of thing, like there's some nights where I was out on street corners where I'm thinking I would really rather not be here. Mm. You know, like they were pretty challenging times. But the people who live at the top of that pyramid – 
it's very easy for them to talk about some of this subject matter with authority because they've never lived in that position. So what I would like to do is put a challenge out to them before they start wanting to ban these sort of things is go out on duty with some of these people. Yeah, yeah, Go and see the world through their eyes, like experience the absolute filth that lives in the world that is beneath your shoes, okay, before you cast these aspersions on these working people because you are an absolute hypocrite when you try and block the path of these people doing justice for a world that you want to be safe, yet you're removing the tools from them. Yeah. You really need a good look at yourself. Yeah, and I I just think it – it's ignorance is bliss, and, and yeah. a lot of people just don't understand, you know, what, say, a dog in a security setting or even, you know, police and military, how it's a force multiplier. Like, yep. the dog essentially does the work of multiple people. Absolutely. Because of his presence, and there's an inherent, like, most people have kind of an inherent fear of being bitten by a dog. Yeah. So, a lot of people, you know- if you're an underworld character, you're probably a good fighter. That's a big part of the culture, mm. right? But what doesn't get rehearsed and practiced is dealing with dog bites and how to deal with that. So you you bring people back down to square one. Mm. So, you know, I would say that a lot of dog bites in the real world and all around the world is the safest way to deal with a situation and is going to result in the less injury or fatality to a person that's being apprehended. Now you're going to, you might end up with some real bad holes in you and you may never use your arm properly again or your leg or wherever you get bitten. But the alternative might be you have to be shot dead. Yeah. Right? Because you know, like dogs are often used in apprehensions against people where like it's too hard to apprehend them individually. And uh, you know, a lot of the less than lethal sort of munitions that people use, you know, uh, tasers, beanbag rounds, that kind of stuff. Like it's not always effective. And in fact, it can escalate a situation. And it's a one off. One off um, right. application. Whereas, yeah. you know, like the visual stimuli of a dog puts the crowd back. Yeah. You know, like when they can see their mate being chewed up by a dog, they're thinking, oh, I don't want to be the next person in yeah, line that's when this right. dog lets goes and comes for me. Yeah. So there's mm. that issue of like it allows, you know, a police dog allows a suspect or an offender in that moment to be apprehended in a, a, the safest possible way mm. a lot of the time. And it's like I say, you without that, you're then forcing a person to go into combat with this person. Like, and, and, and of course, like I'm totally on board. Like you're talking to the urban hippie. Like I get that we shouldn't just be nailing people to the cross for stuff, right? Like there's other ways out, but mm. sometimes people have to be stopped, especially if they're drug affected or whatever. And they're in the process of doing something that is dangerous to others. They must be stopped there and then in that moment. We'll deal with the social issue after that, but right there and then they need to be stopped. Mm. And sometimes the most effective way to do that non-lethally is with a dog. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, as well like one of the sort of without releasing information i shouldn't is like beanbag rounds and that kind of thing often make situations especially drug affected people much worse like if you're as people who are off their face if you shoot them with a beanbag round they often then think they're immortal right because they don't understand like they just feel like yeah that hurt a lot but i'm totally fine Right, and they th- they often don't understand that it was it's a less than lethal munition. It's just meant to hurt a lot. We're not trying to kill you. Yeah, and they think, oh, you're trying to kill me, and you can't. It's negative reinforcement. Yeah, it just drives them to want to mm. turn it off more. Right, whereas yep. the dog like allows you to subdue people and that kind of stuff. Right, yep. so there, there's those kind of things. And then there's the the cases you hear about, and this is what doesn't make the news enough, is when they've got someone who's, you know, having the worst day of their life and is melting down and can't be reasoned with, and they bring out the dog with intention to 
subdue the person with the dog and the presence of the dog changes the people. And they're like, there was a case I actually shared it a while ago in our Facebook group of where exactly that situation. And they told the guy, like, if you don't, whatever he was doing, if you don't stop, we're going to send the dog. And he's like, what dog? I want to see the dog. Can I pat the dog? And they're like, yeah, of course you can. And the dog goes over and diffuses the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And the guy just gets arrested and nobody's injured. And that's because of the presence of the dog. If yep. that was just people going at each other, the situation just escalates, mm -hmm. right? So, like, there's, it's really complex. And I just feel like that reductionist, like, it's bad because I said so. Like, it's super easy to convince people of that. I could do that. I could work on that side easily. I, I know all the arguments. Mm -hmm. and, and I've weighed them heavily and I'm not convinced, right? But I could, you know, I could convince you out that police dogs are bad and no dog should have to live that life of servitude. Mm. But I'm telling you, the next step after that will be you shouldn't be allowed to compel your pet in any way, shape or form, right? Like that's what will be the step after the working dogs get banned. And I mean working dogs as in dog that has a job of any kind. I'm not talking about biting dogs only. I'm talking like any sort of dog that has a function. Rumor is that's on the agenda. Yeah. So after mm. that, then it's training techniques and never yeah. mind your tools. Your tools are fucking long gone. It's even the techniques, yeah. right? Then dogs are going to become all kinds of unmanageable, right? Then it's going to be the- Breeds will have to be targeted. Yep. Well, that's what happened in Holland was yeah. one of the studies out of there said that we should just, they basically acknowledged that a lot of these dogs are so powerful and so committed genetically to the positive reinforcement they see in whatever- that no amount of other positive reinforcement could ethically be used to train them. So we should just not breed those dogs. Yep. Right. That was the outcome of the state. That was, that's in the abstract. Yeah. Right? That's documented. That's, that's yeah. part of history now. Yeah. You know, like, and that, so and that's what people have got to understand. That's what's coming. Mm. And then it's like, okay, you can't breed any dog that has any sort of desires. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to have these jelly slobs in our homes that will eventually be banned as well, right? So, like, that's because the sort that of will be an land. ethical debate as well. Is that dogs are not getting enough exercise? Then there'll be the problem that now dogs are too unruly because you can't control them when they're out yeah. getting exercise. So, that will be, you know, like a, a springboard backwards and forwards. And, and, and I get it. People are probably listening to this going, Look at these fucking idiots. Like, are you wearing your sandwich board and your tinfoil <laughs> hat and you're ringing the bell walking up and down the street? But that's where this heads. Not tomorrow. But in 10, 15, 20 years, the trajectory that we're on, that's yep. where this ends. Mm. And I think the fix to problematic thinking or outspoken wrong ideas is the outspoken right ideas. So you just got to show. And that's what, when I saw that post yesterday, I was like, because it was about New South Wales Police Force. Mm. And I know there's people within New South Wales Police Force that listen to us. Like, you guys have got to counter that. You've got to come out and go like, hey, here's the awesome life of our dogs. Here's the fucking amazing capabilities of our dogs. And yep, you've publicly said that 32 of our dogs got vet treatment. First of all, would you rather us not provide them vet treatment, right? Because that's how we can reduce that statistic yep. right away, right? We can just stop taking them to the vet and that statistic disappears. But instead, we'll continue to provide them wonderful care and we'll show you like the positive outcome in the community. And they need a PR team. And it's not the dog handler's issue. Like there's the machine of the police need to take up this call. They, they do. They need to represent their family better. Yeah. And fucking hell, like if there's an easy part of policing to show the fun, happy side of, it's the goddamn dog unit. Mm. <laughs> like fucking hell. Get out there to the kennels and show the puppies running around. Like they often do, but they, they need they to do. do more of that. Yeah. Right? I was listening to you talking before about the usage of 
police dogs and so forth. And what people don't see behind the scene, you and I have both been involved in helping do some training with state and federal police and so forth. And I was out at Madura Park in Canberra a couple of weeks ago doing the work with Red Team. And, you know, when you walk through the facility, it's an excellent training facility, I've got to say, down there in Canberra too. Like, yeah, it's one of the better I, I love right? it. I absolutely love it. I love how the whole setup is, their kennels, their kenneling system and their care for their dogs and their whole training compartment is just exceptional. Like, it's one of the best. When you walk through the property, there's a lot of little trees planted and under the trees – there's a, a memorial for the dog that was in service in certain applications. So there's been some GP dogs, there's been some explosive dogs or narc dogs or whatever. And one of the guys that is running the dog unit down there or part of, you know, like running the the training with the dog units down there, he's actually from Melbourne, good guy, friend of mine as well. He was telling me one of the worst days in his service industry was the day that he found out his dog got cancer. He had to bring the dog back into the facility to be euthanized and he had to parade, you know, like wear his full dress uniform and bring the dog in while everybody was there. Like it was sort of like an honor guard sort of system. Mm -hmm. So they drove the dog in. He said, mate, I was trying to contain myself. And he said, knowing this is the day that I'm putting my dog to sleep. And I don't think that people understand the relationship. These are not, these are not just tractors that you just go into a shed and you pull the shed door up and you start the tractor and you drive it out and do what you need to do and then park it and don't think about it. These men and women love their dogs. They're proud of their dogs. They're proud of the position that they're in. You know, they absolutely live and breathe this whole system. And speaking to my colleague, I won't name him on air, but speaking to my colleague, and hearing his story and reading these plaques, I mean, you can't help but feel the stir of emotion when you're walking through it. Like I took some pictures of it and I posted it on my Insta story because these dogs are loved and they're part of a partnership. They're not mm. just a, like I said, it's just not an inanimate object. They're honoured and they're loved and they're cherished and they're part of the team. They're not just you're a dog and you're there to help me. Like these people love their animals, like yeah. they love their dogs. So it's nothing that they do is in vain. You know, they're not looked at as, oh, well, thanks, mate. You know, I'm on to the next one now. Like the hurt and the emotion that they feel around the loss of them is immense. Yeah. So for anybody who's wondering what do these people feel about their animals? I can tell you, like, they feel about them the same way you do your beloved pet dogs. Yeah. Exactly the same way, if not sometimes more so, because these dogs have saved them. And I know that in situations where I've been in horrible situations where the outcome wouldn't have been so, well, look, it's hard to say what the outcome would have been. You can look back on history and say it could have been much worse. And I believe in my heart and soul. That's the difference is I believe in my heart and soul that walking to those situations without the dog there by my side, I could not have controlled it any better. Yeah. Like I just know from the hostility and the angst that was there, the way that we controlled the situation with minimal force, you know, one person getting bitten and the rest of the crowd dispersing because they saw it and thought, no, I don't want any, anything to do with that. Where it was just me, I would have been probably lying in the gutter having 10 people stomping my head yep. in. I have a full appreciation for what these people have to go through because I've stood on that street corner. Like I've been in those situations. So I can emphasize completely with these people. And I know what it feels like to lose that dog as well. And I know pet people do when they lose their beloved dog too. This is not to say that you love your dog any less or it means any less to you because I know, you know, like I've had dogs that have just been family members before and I've bawled just as much over them losing them as well. 
you know, but please don't believe that these agencies have people who is, it's just an uncaring machine. Like they love their dogs. They treat them well. They've got staff around the clock monitoring them. Yeah. It's amazing. The system. On-site veterinarians. On-site, everything. places. Yeah. It always amazes me when you're at a seminar or something and there's three or four police there and you say, hey, they pay for you to come here. It's like, no, we paid our own way. Exactly. Like I don't see too many fucking cops at like law seminars on the weekend. You know what I mean? Like mm. that's like, no, you're paying me to go there. Like that's a part of my job. Well, yep. for the dog handlers, it's just more parts of their job that they're giving up their personal time yeah. and paying their own way to mm. go to continue their education to better and a lot of the people you see at these events, they ain't learning shit. They're just like in case, yep. right? Like they know every, they're great dog handlers. They're doing everything. They could teach the seminar better than the person giving it. They're just but they're like, their well, just in case there's something I don't know, like mm. there's, I need to be ahead of the game here, right? And you meet those people all the fucking time. Yep. And it just is outrageous to think anyone who's never met those people and done a ride along with those people or seen face to face the effects of this kind of stuff mm could make some sort of judgment on whether they should be allowed to do it or not. It's frightening. It's frustrating to start with. I think that's the word. It's frustrating. It's frustrating now, but when you look down the tunnel and see where it's headed, it's terrifying. Yeah. So I guess in essence, from my point of view, where I would like this to go, and I hope I speak for a score of other people as well, is to be evenly represented for all the questions to be asked, not just the emotive ones. I think people need to be represented better than just having the emotion score chart being thrust up on social media or mainstream media or whatever it is. I think people need to be evenly represented. And they can say, for example, there were 32 incidents requiring veterinary treatment last year. However, out of those 32 incidents, there was also all of these officers who got to go home to their family and thank the dog for that work. Yeah. That's the added caption of the story that people also need to see. That brings balance to the story. Yeah. That brings perspective to the story. And that represents all of these officers, the men and women who go out on the streets and protect us and keep criminals at bay and keep drugs off the street and check for explosives and so forth. That gives them the credibility that they actually deserve rather than just make them look like, oh, you've allowed dogs to get hurt. Mm. That sort of caption doesn't represent them evenly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> How frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't even going to talk about this. We no, were... I know. We had a different topic in mind at the start, which was working dogs to pet dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or pet dogs to working dogs. Well, we kind of touched on it. Yeah. It's funny how things come and go in waves. Mm. I've been getting a lot of questions in the last, you know, week. And by a lot, I mean like six, but it's worth, <laughs> it's yep. worth asking. It's worth bringing up. People asking about, you know, the likelihood of, I think a lot of our listeners probably are people who are, you know, have a, a rando dog that they just got mm. and have gotten into dog training and now are looking to, you know, the next dog is going to be a dog designed to be trained. Yep. Right. And they want to compete in something or at least play at something. Yep. Right. And the question I've had quite a few times lately is how likely is that? Because people see that I have a dog that does work and by work, I mean, plays sports, right? Yep. When we can. And also is a family pet, lives in the house and that kind of stuff. And I've been getting a lot of questions about that and how to do that. And I think what I keep kind of falling back to is before anything, before you discuss any sort of training technique around that, I think first it's acknowledging genetics because I right now have that, mm. but I have in the past not, right? Like some dogs aren't going to. Do both. That's right. Like it's, I think in training a dog and living with a dog, 
You can have a lot, but you can't have it all. Last week's episode was based on being a slave to your genetics. Yeah. When you field complaints as a dog trainer or a person that deals in behavior and somebody goes, oh, I've bought a Kelpie and all he does is run around the backyard or, you know, like I bought a border collie and he's rounding the dogs up in the local dog park and you're thinking, no shit. Yeah. That's an example of a dog that is a slave to its genetics. Like it wants to go back to what somebody deliberately invested hundreds of years. Well, there's scores of people involved in that. But there was a community who thought, we've got a lot of sheep. We really need a dog to help us on the farm. (laughs) And that spanned over the whole country where people were saying, what's your dog like at rounding up sheep? What's your dog like? Let's put these dogs together and get some puppies because your dog's awesome and my dog's awesome. Maybe we'll get some awesome puppies that do this. And then old mate comes down and goes, oh, you've got six puppies there. We want to take three of them back to the city and sell them to family pet homes. And then they wonder, "Why, why is my dog doing what it does. Yeah. There's that issue of genetics. And I think that if you want to compete in a sport, like, you know, I can speak to bite sports, not, I don't don't know shit about herding and that kind of stuff. Right. But I would guess that this template can be applied across is that when you're looking to get a new dog and you want it to be your dog, you're going to live with it, but you also want to compete. Mm -hmm. Nothing will tell you with more accuracy what your dog is likely to be like than having a look at its parents. Yep. Right? Like that's probably the, the most important thing. And his whole family tree, right? But most notably his parents and having a look at that. And I think, you know, like if you have intention to compete in a sport and you're getting your dog from a breeder who says the dog is suitable for that sport but hasn't done it with the either parent or doesn't, you know, really know what that sport is. Like when you ask them, okay, like what's involved in that sport? Like you tell it to me. If when they say, oh, you know, it's be good for KMPV. And when you go, what is KMPV? And they go, the courage test. And you're like, oh, but there's other parts, <laughs> right? Like mm. that's what you see in the videos, mm. but there's more to it than that, right? So like if they don't, if they're not doing it and don't properly understand it, they're not going to be lying to you. They're just maybe don't understand fully what they have. So I think that's step one. Mm. And then- If both parents of your dog are living in a kennel, then your breeder can't give you advice on whether the progeny of those two dogs that live in a kennel, how they will go living in a home. Because Mm. if they're living in a kennel and they work great, that's what he can assure of you, right? Like this will happen. It's not necessarily that you will then be able to integrate that dog as a pet that just chills out on the couch during the day mm. because there's bloodlines. You know, I, I know Malinmar. I don't know too many other bloodlines. And even then I'm not a bloodlines nerd, but there's bloodlines that can do that. Mm. Right. And there's certainly bloodlines that don't do it very well. Right. So researching the right genetics, I think is super important. Getting a dog that is likely to, you know, be uh, suitable at the sport you're doing. And one thing that we, I'm constantly it's my own fault because I enjoy seeing off-breeds perform as much as anyone else. Absolutely. Right? Mm. When that doodle got a PDC the other week, yep. I was excited. I was as excited to see that as anybody else. Yep. Right? But I feel like it drives me crazy when people get an off-breed to do a sport with. I think if you have the dog and you go, oh, I want to do that sport, Mm. I'm going to see how this dog goes. Good for you. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Have a wonderful time. But what drives me crazy is when, and I've got to have said this at least a hundred times on the podcast. Absolutely. I share the the agony. Yeah. Is when someone who's never competed in the sport, Mm. they look at it and go, yeah, I want to do PSA. Right? Okay, cool. I've never done it. I've never hit the field. I've never even been to a trial. I don't, I only know what's involved from hearing about it from other people. Mm. 
but I'm going to be successful at it with a pit bull or with the doodle, right? And it's like, ah, you're probably not going to be, mm. right? Like that's the thing. You're probably not and you're just setting yourself and the dog up for a life of frustration. But we've been through this. We've been through that a million times. But so choosing the right breed and then the right bloodline of that breed I think is super important. When you're looking at sports – if you're choosing a dog because you want to compete in a particular sport, like there's bloodlines that will perform better in different sports. And that's not to say that like, say Remy, for example, he's a KMPV bloodline, right? So he'll do well. He's a power animal, not an endurance animal. And agility is really not high on his list of genetic traits, mm. right? And PSA, that's why I have him to do PSA with because like he fits within it. It's a, it's a sport of power. It doesn't, the trials don't go for 40 minutes, you know, like the endurance is important, but not as important as say French ring. Mm-hmm. Agility is important because he's got to be able to move and chase people and that kind of thing, but not as important as Mondio. For example, the jump in PSA is a three point exercise in Mondio. It's a 15 point exercise, yep. right? So like there's things like that where I'd look at and go like, okay, if I was wanted to do Mondio, I would get a bloodline that, you know, is successful in Mondio, mm. right? So knowing the breed, knowing the bloodline and choosing the right one appropriate for the sport is super important. But then I think the next step in having a, a, a sporting dog that is also going to be your pet is to choose which one of those things is at first, right? And set the dog up for success in that way rather than like, so People see my dog just, you know, he's at home right now alone or Valerie's with him, my other dog, and he could be anywhere in the house. I have no idea, right? Mm -hmm. He's got free run of the house, but it took like two and a half years to get there, right? So he did his PDC and his PSA level one at like 16 months old. That should be an indicator, I think, for people of where my efforts in training were, right? At 16 months old, he got his titles, Mm -hmm. but it was two and a half years before I could trust him in the house, Yep. right? So, or even have him in the house while I was eating dinner Mm -hmm. and not have to put him in the box or outside or something like that. Because the, like I had to build what I wanted. His primary purpose was to be a sporting dog. And therefore like, you know, he didn't have free reign. He was controlled. And it's not like he lived in a kennel, like in a box, like he had a lot of free reign, but was very tightly managed. Mm. Whereas now I hardly, I I don't even know where he is half the time. Like he's somewhere in my house. I I don't know. He's very independent dog. He does what he wants. And I trust him to do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, he's four and a half now. He's nearly five. Like he, it, we didn't, it took years to get to that point, but it only took us like 16 months to get to the point where he was working at a level where I was ready to hit the competition field. Right. So I think you've got to kind of make that decision of where does my priorities lie? If, if it's, if it's super important to me that this dog live in the house with me and sleep on my bed and, you know, like go everywhere with me and is my companion. And then I would also like to play games with him then that's fine. Mm. And you have to acknowledge that your tra- your imprinting is going to need to be lifestyle type imprinting rather than working style imprinting. Yep. Whereas if what's important to you is that he is competing or is, you know, training for whatever it is you're training for, do that first. And then when that is at a point where you're happy, then start implementing the other stuff. Yep. Because you can have a lot, but you can't have it all, mm. right? Not at once anyway. The template person, I know that you and I spoke about this before we turned the mics on, is Ben Dawson. I often think Well, he goes the other way, Mm. right? Like he didn't get the working dog to become a pet. He He got the pet and then decided 
maybe I want to try working dog. Yeah. But you're right. He never came with false pretenses. Like he didn't turn up on the door and say, I've got an ambition to be an IGP dog or a PSA dog or anything like that. Like when he turned up, he brought his wife and all these little tiny blonde children, you know, and I'm sort of looking at him and, you know, like he said, this is what I want and I've really wanted to get a shepherd. Kaiser was a beautiful, really well-balanced little pup. And I just said, he's perfect for you for, you know, what you want with the kids. Very evenly balanced, happy-go-lucky little puppy. He follows you around everywhere. He's food motivated, everything like that. I said, these other guys over here, they're probably a bit too rowdy. They'll probably chase the kids down and put some holes in them and stuff like that. Not in, you know, not with bad intent, but just too drivey for what he wanted at the time, for what he represented he wanted. So lovely guy, came out several times, got to know him, spoke multiple times over social media. So when we were doing the pairing for his lifestyle and what he wanted, what I envisaged what he wanted at the time, not to say that Kaiser didn't have any drive, he did have drive, but it was less than what his brothers had. So I thought little kids, inexperienced guy, enthusiastic, and you know, like he presented all the right way. Like he sort of told me his game plan. And when I gave him the puppy, he'd also send, you know, like little catch-up videos. This is what I'm doing. What do you recommend about this? And I think at some stage I said he was in the over at Maroubra and I said, you're over that way in town. Mm. I said, hook up with Pat. He's my colleague. He'll help you. You know, he can pretty much shape whatever you want to do. Then the next thing I find out, I want to do PSA. Yeah. I did think at the time, if that was your intention, I could have helped you with a more suitable dog for it. However, he's done really well with a dog that was down on my list for working dog potential. You know, like when I was choosing a dog for him, he's actually done really well. His commitment to the sport, like all the guys that turn up, he comes at great distance. He's a baker. So, you know, like he's involved in, yeah, he's a baker, isn't he? Yeah, he's a baker. Yeah, Yeah. he's a bakery. So So like Ben, just to blow some smoke up his ass, Mm. like it's not uncommon for him to leave training here and go straight to work. Absolutely. Yeah. He's very committed. all night. Like he- And he's got like young children, a family, and he runs a bakery. So, you know, like the guy is absolutely committed. And I mean, he's running on steam sometimes. I can just see the poor guy sitting there thinking, oh God, you know, as soon as I finish this, I literally got to go in and open the shop up and then work all all morning and all through the night to get all the, the goods done. But he's done himself proud and he's certainly done us proud with the work that he's done with the dog too. Like I yeah. commend him for doing it. Yeah. And you're right. It, you know, we are blowing a bit of smoke, but I like him as a guy. He's yeah, a, it's great too. He's a really good guy. He's genuine. He tries hard. And this is his first real dog. Yeah. You know, like he's doing okay. And I think hopefully we'll see him on the field in our trial in a couple of months time. Yeah. Yep, totally. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Jerry and Janet, if you're listening to this podcast, we're going to do a pod. We're gonna yeah, we've do- set a date for the trial here. Yeah, we, so we'll be I'll, in touch with you. i got to register that on the yeah. thing. I'll set all that up. Yep. But yeah, so I think that's – Ben's a great example of the opposite direction. Like he, yeah. he got, oh, okay, I want to get into this. And so the foundation was laid in pet dog yep. and we had to turn that into a working dog stuff. And so like it's there. It's just that not ideal order. Holly was a pet. Um, I had yeah. no idea at all what I wanted to do. I just wanted a Rottweiler and yeah. end up getting a Rottweiler cross. But that's what I wanted out of a dog. I just wanted a – I just wanted the breed. I moved out of home. I wanted my own dog and I thought, cool, I'm going to get this dog. And I had no ambitions or plans or anything that I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, as soon as I sort of stepped into the foyer, this world was open to me. Mm. You know, like I started thinking I had no idea about any of this possibility. And if it wasn't for this dog, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. Yeah. yeah. Because that would not be a path that way that I would have had 
So, you know, that was the butterfly effect of having that dog is that he changed my whole Oh, they portfolio. do, man. So when I got my first Smelly, hey, let me explain something before because sure. I just realized that all the stuff we're talking at the start, maybe people will share this episode and then we're talking about dogs having purpose and how they should. And now we're talking about that. you got to choose one or the other, right? Yeah. And just to sort of explain what I mean by our dogs being pets and working dogs and that is like the reason I didn't, you know, my dog, it took so long to have him able to just be loose in the house, which mind you, like a lot of average people can't do with their very low drive dog. Mm. Right. I'm talking about like the reason he couldn't have freedom in my house without me there is because I wanted to not have to punish him for anything. Yeah. So I just controlled him. So it's not like he lived in a box and only came out to work. What I mean is that like he didn't have a lot of freedoms beyond he was in the yard during the day when I wasn't at work. And when he was at home, he had to be supervised very closely. Yeah. That's what I mean by that. And it's not, I'm not saying like he, they live in a kennel and then one day you bring them out. They yeah. can live in a kennel and keep your dog however the fuck you want, as long as it's safe and healthy. You just don't want to be running around the house saying no, no, no exactly. all the time. That's the which point. is, you know, like the life I live with Randy. That's the point. So yeah. that's like with a dog, if you're going to keep it in your home and your goal is to get this dog free in my home so that we can just coexist together, yeah. then high on your list of priorities has to be telling that dog, these are the things you can't do, yeah. right? And stopping the, like showing the dog what he can do, but then also saying like, hey, you can't destroy the couch, right? This kind of stuff, right? Whereas I wanted my dog to be like, I do whatever I want, whenever I want. Mm. And I go, yeah, I want you to feel like that. And because I will let you destroy stuff, I need to make sure that it's only happening at the times where it's <laughs> appropriate for me. And I don't put you in a position yeah. to cause yourself a problem. Yeah. Right? So as you trust him more, more availability opens up to him. And yeah. then you can say, okay, well, I know that you won't kill the couch. Even, you know, like if you're in drive of watching another dog do something, yeah. I know that you won't let your frustrations out and go and grab the arm of the couch and shake it to pieces. Yeah. You know, I know that you'll probably pick up your ball or something. Then you can say, okay, so I can trust you in the lounge room yeah. now. And there's two, there's two ways it would be, first might be that he is so used to biting what he's meant to bite that when he gets aroused, he just thinks about that and yep. becomes more singularly focused. So that could just happen by itself, which is mm. for the most part what happened with Remy versus like he gets aroused and then just that has to go somewhere and puts it into the couch. And now I'm in a position where I have to punish that or, you know, deal with that situation. So like, I don't want to, I don't want either of those to happen. I want it to just be the slow burn mm. until then. Like, I don't want either of those to happen young. I want like the slow burn until I'm a hundred percent under, like he knows how to work. And for yep. me, it was like, okay, we well, just got his title. So like, he knows what he's doing. Now I can start showing him this other stuff and it's not going to steal from the power that he has other places. Mm. Back to what you were saying. It's like every dog radically changed your life, man. Like every dog that you have, mm. that's your own. Like for us, you know, as trainers, there'll be dogs that, like I can think of lots of client dogs where I'm like, holy shit, that dog really shaped the way that I treat all dogs, right? Mm. Or that I train all dogs because that dog showed me something that, you know, taught me something I didn't know. Or I took a risk. I was ignorantly taking risks with dogs, not knowing how badly it could go until that dog showed me how badly it could go. And now I'll never ignorantly take that risk again mm. because I learned from that dog. So I think, I feel like as professionals, we have certain dogs that are big influences on us. But I think of our own dogs, like, man, they all, uh, they've all got a special spot for us. Like my first Mally, I'm telling you, if he hadn't been the dangerous disaster that he was, this conversation wouldn't be happening. Like he, I, it would have just been another flash in the pan hobby for me. I would have 
you know, played dog stuff for 12 months and then it would have just faded away. And, you know, like if there were, if I didn't have all the issues that I had and it was because of the problems that I had that I was like, oh wait, I like solving these problems. And yep. here we are, however many years later doing it. It's my, it's my full time. Stay tuned folks. In two years, Pat's going to be a director. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to admit I'm really enjoying a lot of making all this sort of video content stuff. Like I just like telling stories, as you can tell from talking nonstop on this podcast. I like mm -hmm. telling stories and I have realized that I can tell them. I don't have to be the teller of them. I can make little things and have it tell the story and I'm still telling the story. So I definitely am really enjoying making little little movies and stuff. But, you know, telling stories is part of how communities come together and have done for eons. Well, you know, like part of the tribe is, you know, having somebody who comes in and tells the story yeah, about- Yeah, millennia, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, it's an important part of visualisation so people can- maybe live through your eyes or my eyes or whatever experiences. And then it can fire up some ambition about a change of lifestyle for them as well. You know, like I've had people and I've seen emails that have come in just on the canine paradigm where people have said, you guys have changed my life. Mm. That's a really inspiring sort of message to get from people where people are saying, I was doing this in my lifestyle and I felt my life didn't matter. And suddenly, you know, I listened to you or a guest on your show or something that you had and it's changed my life. Like, I don't think there's any better message that you can get from people. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to do detection work when I first got into training dogs. Like I kind of saw that as, and no disrespect for people in this because I was ignorant to it, but I saw that as beneath me. You know, like I wanted to do bite work. Bite work was where it's at. You know, like detection work was the passive stuff. But then with some of the work that I was doing with Harley, where we were doing man tracking inside buildings and stuff like that, I realized, ah, oh, these two go together. This is detection. Like, that's right. It's yeah. symbiotic of each other. Yeah. But then I never really wanted to teach people in it. I just wanted to do that in order to get to the end goal because- Bite work was where it was at, and that's where I wanted to go with it. And then people would see me do it with Harley and say, can you show me how to do that? And I thought, oh. And it was like hours of work as compared to the fun stuff where yeah. it was all adrenalized. But then talking about telling stories, that is part of the story. It's part of the change in dynamics of how in order to get to B, you have to go through A. Yeah. And that was it was like an epiphany. It just like it was a lightning bolt hit me in the head one day. And I thought, this is actually awesome because this is opening my capabilities. Like mm. I'm aware of much more about training now. And then as I started to get involved in a ha and field an understanding of olfaction, I realized, holy shit, like this is a world that I had no idea of. Yeah. I didn't realize how integral this is to the lifestyle of a dog. It dawned on me a whole new respect of what it was. So then instead of looking at it as something that I didn't like, I actually loved it. Like mm. I realized this is incredible, like so much more than I ever gave any consideration to. So that's where that sort of dawned from. It came from something that I realized I had to do in order to get to where I wanted to do, but then realizing that instead of dismissing the journey, I actually loved the journey of how to get there. And then I, I loved being able to be a part of a storyteller for other people to say, okay, this is how you do it. And then realizing that you don't even need to do the bite work component, like the detection side of it can still be amazing on its own. And the end result of that in finding something that you've put incredible amount of effort into concealing it, that the dog can find it. And yeah. I thought, you know, like the science behind that and the, not only the science behind it, but the pragmatic side of it, like you think to yourself, 
this is absolutely incredible. Like mm. where this is an untouched realm. It's like exploring the bottom of the sea. We just know so little about it, yet we can utilize components of it to benefit our world. Yeah. Getting back to the point where I earlier on said it was beneath me, that was so stupid of me to have that thought because I was so ignorant to it. You're so small in the world of canine olfaction. Like when you realize how integral that is and it plays, like I said, it plays such a massive part in the development and the characteristics of a canine and then how you can integrate that into your lifestyle. It's amazing. Mm. It really is. It's funny you say you thought it was beneath you. Like I think that in this world, there's very few linear progressions of anything. Yep. The interconnected nature of everything means that things are really a circle. Yeah. And sometimes when you look from the point you're standing on that circle, it can be hard to tell what's above you and what's below you, right? Because it's all connected in one way or another. And like when you look in one way in the circle, are you looking up or are you looking down? It's kind of like when you play online games and when you look at a map of the world that you're actually in and it's all blurred out because you haven't explored, haven't opened those, yeah, levels, you haven't explored those levels. Yeah. But, you know, like as you start to explore more, like the world becomes more and more open yeah. to you and you realize, holy shit, like there's a lot to this. But you just never considered it at the moment because that's not where your focus needs to be on at that point of yeah. time. So you're only concerned about your small parcel of land. That did happen to me because, like I said, it was just a means to the ends of getting to bite work. Yeah. It's funny one because, like, you see – yeah, some people come into the industry and let's. Well, I'm a generalist. And I'm a specialist of nothing. Yep. But people say like, oh, I'm not interested in training obedience. I just want to do behavior modification or the other way around. It's like- I can't uh, have one without the other. Like, they're the same mm. thing. Yeah. I, I hate to tell you, but like, that's the same shit. You're going to need the techniques of one to apply it to another. I remember Boyd having that conversation with me once because we were talking about the bite work and the tracking side of it. And he said, so what are you going to do when the person runs away and hides? Yeah. And you've got to go in and search for them. It wasn't just about teaching the dog to run in and bite them. Like we were teaching hold and barks and so forth. Like it was a a find and apprehend, not a find and bite. But he sort of laid it into me and said, so how do you expect to find the person in order to be able to train all this? And I thought, holy shit, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, like- they stand on the field. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They they come running at you with a stick in their hand and they say, get that dog out of here. (laughs) 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 That's a place to stop. Yeah. All right, that's it yeah. for another episode of the K-Dub Paradigm. With no topic, just two dickheads waffling at each other about numerous stuff. Just, just telling you what gets up our goat, that's all. Yeah. I forget to even fucking the wrap up. My Could, God. Yeah. How do you, sir? If you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Mm-hmm. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. Jump into there. Three bucks a month gets you access to stuff. Yep. You could give more if you like. You need to support Pat's filthy habit. Yeah, now. support my my, my, my expensive <laughs> filmmaking habit. But I'm super excited. I've got, like, I know I keep talking about this, but there's cool content coming. Mm. I'm making a little mini documentary. I'm, I'm having a wonderful time. So I haven't seen him this excited for a long time. Yeah, I'm a buzz with it. Yeah. It's exciting. Give us some money in there if you like. That'd be cool. If mm. not, that's cool too. We still love you. Yep. The other way is Well, this Teespring. is all free. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Teespring. Get yourself some cool merch. Look cool. Yep. While you be cool. Yes. That's that's what we need to say. Well, you train your pet dog to become a working dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
(laughs) (laughs) And if you want to get in contact with us, jump into our discussion group on Facebook. That's a good place to sort of stay in the loop on things. Yep. Seminars, science, what other people are doing. Someone who knows stuff about mailing lists, let me know. I feel like social media is changing and certainly like the Facebook algorithms are changing and that kind of stuff. And it's actually getting harder to reach people. Yep. And I feel like email mailing lists are coming back. And I feel like we should probably start one, but I don't even know where to start. So if somebody has good advice on that, let us know. Also, uh, I do have one thing that I want to say. Oh, you got a gripe? A I little, can tell a, by the, a I little can, one. Yes, I can tell by the way you presented that. This My is finger uh, went this up. is bad news coming. It's not bad news. It's just a request. We openly allow people to represent themselves in our discussion group. I just feel that it's not equally distributed back to the canine paradigm. Remember that you're in our discussion group. The whole point of that, you know, we did want to build a community around our podcast and so forth. So if you are repping yourself in our group, equally represent the canine paradigm. I think that's a fair trade. Yeah. Yeah. Like just no straight advertising is what you sort of mean. Well, I just feel that there's a couple of trainers that are putting their gig on our show and we're not really getting evenly distributed throughout their community. So please just remember, this is a two-way street. Support us because we support you. Yeah. I'd say one thing, like, because we have the post approval on just because of the the meanness that happened in there one time by accident. but. What I'll say is like, I don't approve any pros that don't have an explanation. Like if you just share something, I just decline it straight away. Like yep. you got to explain why it's relevant to that group. Agreed. Even at the minimum, you got to put a laugh face if it's a funny thing that you're yeah. sharing. Like it's got to be a reason why it's in there. And especially like when people just share their own business thing without engaging in it. Like it's just like, hey, I'm doing this. It's like you share that on your own page, mate. Like if you're sharing it in there, tell us why you think it's relevant to us and we'll approve it. It's not like we don't want, we're not approving people's business posts, mm. but just why do you think it's relevant to that audience? Yeah. And like I said, evenly distribute. That's it. Oh yeah. Shoot us an email. We are info at the canonparadigm.com. Goodbye.